Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. John the Baptist is a really awesome and unique story in, in the history of the Bible. And I want you to do this for me. Uh, actually, forget doing it for me. Do it for you. I want you to read the chapter of Luke that discusses John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1. Will you all agree to read the entirety of Luke chapter 1? Can I get an amen? Okay, so some of you are going to submit. Some of you are going to be cranky. Y'all need to read the whole chapter. Don't just take my word for it, but we don't have time to read the whole chapter this morning. So I'm just going to highlight some of the things about John that we need to know so we can get to know his story. His beginning, John's beginning, does in fact start with his parents. I know, it's shocking. Most of our beginnings started with our parents too, right? Um, His beginning starts with his parents, but his beginning is is also a little bit tricky because he was prophesied about. In other words, an Old Testament prophet didn't speak the name of John, but they spoke of his duty. And we're going to see that later in uh, in this sermon. So his beginning was when he was born, but his beginning was spoken about hundreds and hundreds of years before he came. Right? And I mean, that's pretty cool. Uh, so this is, this is John. Um, his parents were past the age of being able to conceive. You all know what that means, right? They couldn't get pregnant. They were like my age. Maybe they were older. But they were at a point where uh, they couldn't conceive. And Elizabeth was barren her whole life. So, so not only were they, were they in their elder years, but his wife, she was, she was barren through her younger years. So they weren't having kids. But know this, know this. Zacharias was a man of God. He was a priest. And he went to the temple to serve in the temple. And he had prayed that God would give them a child. And waited and waited and waited and waited and waited, and waited until now they're too old to have kids. And so what do you think Zacharias thought? God said no. He figured, well, I guess that's it. And so he thought God had, had said no. And though they were let down, they were let down. Let's be honest. Have you ever prayed for something and God hasn't answered it? Now, I know you're like, God answers all prayers, Pastor. Don't ever say God doesn't answer prayer. What are you thinking? Well, I mean, saying no is kind of the same thing. Come on, let's get real. Right? God says no, you take it as he didn't answer your prayer. You're just trying to be sanctimonious and holy. Right? God sometimes says no. So they thought he said no, they were let down. When you say, God, please give me a spouse, and God's like, yeah, not right now. And you're like, ah, my life is terrible. Right? You follow to me, or some of you that are struggling to have children. Lord, give me a child, Lord, give me a child, and you don't have a child, and, and you throw your hands up in the air, and life is terrible. Life is terrible. This couple is amazing, Elizabeth and Zacharias. Though they were let down and childless, they were not childish. Now hear me. Though they were let down in their eyes by God and they were childless, they were not childish. 
The story of John includes his parents because there's something we can learn from his parents. They continued to follow God. They continued to serve the Lord. They were godly people, and that had an incredible impact on John. So, somebody needs to hear this, because some of y'all, you're praying for things, and God has either said no, or he is saying wait, and so, and so while you're waiting, or while you're disappointed, you've put your life on hold, or you're trying to pursue those things in your own power that God has clearly said no to. And you're wrecking your life and you're, you're, you're uh, interfering with other people's lives and, and you stop living in the present and you live in self-pity instead. You've moved your address because you're not getting what you wanted. Come on now, you all know somebody like that. Maybe you are somebody like that. I know God wants me to say this. Somebody needs to hear this. You need to learn from Zacharias and Elizabeth to continue to love Jesus and follow God. Some of you are angry instead of being patient. You haven't considered your role in God's story or His role in yours because you're wrapped up in what you want. And you've forgotten that God is not a genie that you rub the lamp and He comes out and He says, what can I do for you today? I mean, He is not Will Smith. He is not Robin Williams. Whichever generation you're of in Aladdin, He is not the genie in the lamp coming at your beck and call to serve you. We are to serve Him. The greatest service Jesus did to us was dying on the cross for us. The least we can do is serve Him back and accept His authority. Some of y'all are, are living in self-pity instead of living in the present. You, you haven't considered or accepted your role in God's story or His and yours, but God has a plan and he had a plan for, for Zacharias, and he had a plan for Elizabeth, and it's something that often we can't or won't see, and it comes about in our lives in ways that we don't expect. So in Zacharias and Elizabeth's case, God decreed that Zach, I'm going to call him Zach because we're homies, Zach and Elizabeth would be barren, uh, but they were faithful through it all, and finally the time came for the son to to prepare their son, to prepare the way for Jesus. His birth was the beginning and the end of the old way and the ushering in of the new way. How many of you guys have your Bibles? On your, you have your Bibles on your Bible app probably, but if you're, if you're godly and you brought a paper Bible today, I'm joking because I didn't. Um, if you open your Bible up and you, you skip through about two-thirds of the way through, you'll see it says the beginning of the New Testament. And right, if you go to the beginning, it says the Old Testament. And between the two stands John. John is one of the coolest characters in the entire Bible. He's an amazing, amazing man. So his parents, they followed God even when they were disappointed. And that translated to John. They're waiting their pain had an eternal purpose. They didn't stop following. They didn't stop serving. They didn't wait until they were pregnant to begin to serve the Lord and make their lives meaningful. You follow, somebody needs to hear this. They didn't wait until they got what they wanted to make their lives count for something. Some of you need to hit play on your lives because you've had it on pause for far too long. You think you've got to wait until you get what you want or until you get what you're praying for 
And you need to recognize that God is God and we are man. And His sight and His vision is far greater than we could ever possibly see. So, that was the story of, of um, John's parents. Now, it continues, right? Here is, here is Zach. He's serving in the temple. Zach was a priest. And uh, this was probably the only time in his life that he was going to get to do this. He got to go to the temple and burn incense at the altar of God. And so he goes into the temple and he's burning incense. And in the temple, while he's burning incense, an angel appears to him. This angel gets around. This angel is probably the primary message of God, messenger of God. His name is Gabriel. How many of you heard the name Gabriel before? Who else did Gabriel talk to? Anybody know? Shout it out. Mary. Who else did he talk to? Anybody know? Shout it out. Anybody else? We said Joseph, Mary, Daniel. That's right. Daniel in the Old Testament now. So Gabriel's getting around. He's in the Old Testament. He's in the New Testament. He appears to Zach in the temple. And Zach, he said, hey, listen, man, you're going to have a son. And you need to name, his, you need to name him John. Right? And he, he, tells, he tells Zach about John. And Zachariah, he was, he was um, well, what did I say earlier about this? He prayed and prayed and prayed, and God didn't answer his prayer. And so Zachariah, what? He's now elderly, so he did, what did he do? He gave up. All right, I'm never going to have a kid. So be it. I'm not going to waste my life waiting. I'm going to serve the Lord. And then this angel comes to him and says, you're going to have a child. Now, children back then weren't disposable. Children back then weren't disposable like they are today. They were rejoiced over even in the old age. You follow what I'm saying? Did John have a purpose before he was born? What did I just tell you about? He was prophesied of. John was called by Jesus the greatest man that ever lived. He was prophesied of. And when, when Zacharias was informed by Gabriel, you're going to have a son, he didn't go, oh man, that's so inconvenient. Hey Elizabeth, you got any plan B lying around? Now, I, I'm, making, I'm making light of some things, but folks, we need to understand some things today. Praise God. Praise God, children weren't disposable. Oh, wait, let me rephrase. Children were disposable if you were a king and you hated God and Jesus. Then you could kill all the children you wanted. Because when Jesus was born, the king sent his soldiers to kill the children who would be of Jesus' age and under. And that was prophesied of too. And there was a shriek, a cry in Israel as their children were slaughtered. Not the first time Israel babies were slaughtered, was it? There was another king, a pharaoh in Egypt, who slaughtered Israeli children. Lord, help us not to be like Egypt. So, when Zechariah was in shock saying, holy smoke, did you just say I'm going to have a baby? I mean, Elizabeth, but me too? This, he wasn't quite as faith, 
full as Mary was. You know, Mary said, beat unto me, right? He was like, no way. you got to be kidding me. And the angel said, well, since your faith is not quite what it should be, you're going to be mute until the baby's born. Pop! And then his wife was, she said, I've been praying for this for years. He couldn't talk. He comes out of the temple and he can't talk. And she's like, yes, hallelujah, right? And all the people in the church that were hearing him preach every week, they were like, hallelujah, shorter sermons. And so he's, he, no, what they said was, holy smoke, he must have had a vision in the temple. So they knew something had happened. And then Elizabeth gets pregnant, and she has the baby, and eight days later they go to circumcise the baby, and finally God relieves Zechariah of his burden of muteness, and he begins to praise and testify to the Lord, and he calls the baby's name John, which is significant because people would expect him to be named after his family name. But he was something different. He was to be a prophet of the highest, to prepare the way for the Lord. This is the beginning And what a beginning it was. Angels, miracles, prophecies, mild chastisement. Boy, that's that's an amazing start. Here's the the thing that that Zacharias was told by Gabriel. I know that's kind of small on the screen, so I'm going to read it for you. Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's... What? You mean he's a person? He's filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb, right? Now, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will also go before him, that's a capital H, him, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is who John was going to become. But first, before he begins to fulfill that prophecy, I want to take us to chapter 1 of Luke, verse number 39. Chapter 1 of Luke 39. Begin reading, begin reading at 39. I'm trying to go fast. You have no idea how much I've cut out. Um, now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah. Who is Mary? Come on, who's Mary? Not just any Mary. This is like Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's also the cousin of Elizabeth. Great things are happening in this family. Can I get an amen for that? Like these families, this is unbelievable. So she's rushing to her, her cousin Elizabeth. He entered into the house of uh, Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe, and we're not talking about a pretty girl, we're talking about the baby in her belly, right? The baby in the womb who is whom? John the Baptist, right? John, a living person in the womb of Mary when she came, um, in the womb of Elizabeth, when she came into the presence of Mary, he leaped for joy in her womb. He leaped for joy, and now he's filled with the Spirit, but now Elizabeth is also filled with the Spirit, and then she spoke out loud with a voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there shall be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. This is the first intersection between John and Jesus, and it happens when both of them are still in the womb. Come on, that's wicked cool. It happens when they're both still in the womb. John recognizes the Lord. He can't see Him, but he knows He's in the presence of deity, of divinity. And the baby in the womb does this. How many of y'all been pregnant? Women only. How many have been pregnant? Right? I mean, has that baby ever done something where you were like, whoa? Has it? Trish? Yeah? Right? I mean... They move because they're alive. And we learned something here. He had joy. He had joy while he was still in the womb. Some of y'all wonder why Christians are pesky pro-lifers. Because they're alive. They're alive. They feel emotions. Science Oh, this happens all the time. We preached about this earlier this year or last year. I forget when, but science catches up to scriptures eventually, right? When we talk about neuroplasticity, the, the fact that your brain can be changed, your mind can be changed, right? God ordained it that way. And somewhere around 2000, late 1990s, they discovered that the brain was neuroplastic and it could be adjusted and moved and changed and it wasn't set in stone. That's amazing. Well, the scriptures said that for 2000 years. Well, here we see the baby felt joy. The baby's leaping in the womb. And we know now that that baby's dream. Did you know that? We know babies can hear their mama's voices. Kim, how much did you talk to your kids when you were pregnant? Did you talk to them? Trisha and I used to talk to our kids. Um, Angel, did you do this? Did you get on her belly and go, Hey, listen up. You're going to obey when you come out. I did. I might not have yelled like that, but I would, I would get on her belly and talk. Maybe that's why my kids are messed up. I don't know. But no, my kids aren't messed up. My kids are awesome. But I would talk to my kids. We would play music, right? You must have. Yeah. And did you play classical music, if I remember correctly? Maybe. All right? So, so we know that we impact. We impact our children while they're still in the womb. They hear their mother's voices. They recognize their mother's voices when they're born. Science catches up to Scripture. It's just so incredible to me. And it's also so sad at the same time. Because we don't consider children in the womb children. And it's heartbreaking. And this is not political. This is biblical. It's not political, it's biblical. The first meeting of John and Jesus occurred while they were both in the wombs of their respective mothers. I love this. He was ordained to his work before he was born. He leaped in the womb, and he was, he, he, was in, he was in joy because of the presence of Jesus. By the way, we can learn something from that. We can have joy when we're in the presence of Jesus, which means we can have joy all the time. We just need to be aware of the presence of Jesus. Can I get an amen? I'm going to say that all day. Can I get an amen? Man, if you're aware of the presence of Jesus in your life, the person that loves you more than anyone else has ever loved you, including your parents, is with you. I mean, the only one that will love you through falling and failing is Jesus. 
I mean, hopefully your wife will, your husband will, your friends will, but the only one guaranteed to stick with you even when you fall and fail is Jesus. That's the love of God. That ought to bring joy to your heart. Instead, we listen to the voice of the devil saying, you're a loser, you'll never make it, you better give up. Go kill yourself. We hear these satanic voices. And we turn our back on Jesus and we're not listening to Him anymore. When if we would just look to Him, He would fill our hearts with love and with joy if we could see Him as He is. John's life was heavy with promise and power even before he was born. From his birth, from the announcement of Gabriel to his name John, he was set apart. When he was circumcised, his father, who was struck dumb, right? We mentioned that a moment ago because of his initial unbelief, began to praise God, and he now prophesied over his son. The very same things that Gabriel had and years before had been prophesied about him in the Old Testament. And as John grows up, the Bible says he became strong in the spirit. He moved to the desert. And when the time was ripe, he began his ministry. God begins to speak to John as he did those to those old-time prophets. See, John, even though he is a figure written about in the New Testament, John is actually an Old Testament prophet. When you think of Isaiah, and when you think of Micah, and you think of Daniel, you ought to think of John. Though his story begins, uh, his life begins in the New Testament, his story began in the Old Testament with a prophecy, and he is a prophet like them. Okay? So he goes into the desert, and God is speaking to him. We know that God speaks to him because when he baptizes Jesus, he says something really important that we'll see in a moment. He begins to preach. And he preaches like the Old Testament prophets. How did the Old Testament prophets preach? What did they say? What were some of the things they said? Repent! And repent simply means you've been walking this way, away from God. You've been worshiping false gods. You've been involved in sin. You need to turn your, you need to turn your life around and start following God. That was what the Old Testament prophets did all the time. Those of you that love prophecy and you want to study Old Testament prophets, here's a summary of the Old Testament prophets, and there's a lot in there, and you can learn a lot from it, but here's the basic summary is this. Israel was screwing up badly, they were falling into sin, and they were rebellious. And there was a prophecy that said, if you screw up badly and fall into sin and follow other gods, God is going to chastise you. And so most of the time, the prophets were coming to Israel and they were saying this, you've screwed up badly, you've fallen into sin, and now you need to turn around or it's going to go badly for you. Jeremiah, great story. He's called the weeping prophet. And ultimately, Israel was sent into captivity for their sin. So that was, that was the message of the prophets. Repent, turn back before it's too late. And so here comes John, and he's preaching the same thing. He's saying, repent, repent, and he's preparing the way for Jesus. So now we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 3, verse number 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John to be baptized by him. So at this point, John, he's preaching in the desert. He comes to the Jordan River. He starts to baptize people. He's baptizing people not into a local church like we do, 
Listen, baptism is this. It's a symbol that denotes a change in your life. I was going this way. I want to go this way now. He's saying, be be baptized. Turn your life around. And here's the symbol. And so they're going to him and they're being baptized. And and John, Jesus comes to him and says, hey, you need to baptize me. And John's like, no. You're not turning around from sin. You're not in rebellion to God. You need to baptize me. And, And Jesus says, listen, listen now. Permit it to be so for now, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And he allowed him. And so the thought is this, that Jesus was baptized to identify with us who are sinners. He was baptized to identify with us, to identify with that side of his humanity. Though he was sinless, he wanted people to know that he was a full man. So when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately out of the water And behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is the second meeting of John and Jesus. And the first meeting, John's leaping for joy, but the second meeting is even more spectacular. Can you imagine it's an overcast sky? And Jesus comes to you and says, hey, baptize me. And you're like arguing with Jesus. Anybody else besides me argue with God? Is it just me? You're arguing with God in the flesh and finally like this. Yes, Lord. And you baptize him and as you're bringing him up out of the water, where's Peter Klaus? He, he, he baptizes you coming up out of the water. All of a sudden the clouds break. And sun shines down on Jesus. And out of the sky, out of nowhere, this beautiful dove begins to circle. And it lands on the shoulder of Christ and a voice thunders from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Man, John is doing a good job. He's preparing the way for Jesus. And he gets to see all this stuff. He has one foot in the Old Testament prophesying the coming kingdom and the need to repent. And when he meets Jesus the second time and he baptizes him, he gets confirmation of his message that he's preparing the way for the Son of God. Later on, he said, this is he of whom I spoke. He gives the the testimony, I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but he, he had heard from God, this is the sign to look for. It's an amazing thing. Um... As a preacher, I can just imagine that I've been preaching for years and someone who has yet to come to Christ maybe shows up at the service and they turn their hearts to Jesus. That's what I feel like this moment is. For a preacher, to see your your life's calling fulfilled, to see people coming to Christ, to see people's lives changing, to see people growing in grace. It's an amazing thing. So John, this is like a fulfillment of his ministry He sees the one that he's been preaching about and telling preparing Israel, and he sees his prophecy come to life right before his very eyes. So amazing. So he's an Old Testament prophet on one side, but his other foot now is firmly planted in the New Testament as he baptizes Jesus, and we begin the new and living way, right? The New Testament and the Old Testament. One is old agreement. One is new agreement. One is the old way of dealing with God. The other is the new way of dealing with God or God dealing with man. You follow? The other way was sacrifices in the temple. The new way was the sacrifice of Jesus. And this was the beginning of all of that. Oh, my word. 
So what did John look like? This is kind of cool. Um, he's one of the few figures in the New Testament that we actually have a description of. Do you know that? How many of y'all know what, uh, what kind of clothes, I don't know, Peter wore? We know Jesus had a robe that his mother made for him. How many know what the diet of Peter was? I'm going to guess it was fish. He was a fisherman. They, we do have a, a, a record of that. They, eat, they have a campfire and they eat fish by the fire. John, we have a record that he wore camel hair. He lived in the desert, so not many showers for John. His hair was not cut. So Angel, you would never make a good John the Baptist. He wasn't going to his barber shop. He wasn't getting lines cut in. He was just a gruff, hairy, nasty figure. I imagine he stank. He's got a long beard. And his diet consisted of wild locust and honey. That sounds appetizing. And everything points to this. John was a man on the mission, and he didn't have time for worldly comforts. He was, he was a one-minded man, a single-minded man. He didn't care about what he looked like. He wasn't concerned about what he was eating. He was there to prepare the way for Jesus. He had a heavy and powerful prophecy on his life. It's an amazing thing. The second meeting of John, we see the voice of God confirming for John that Jesus is the one he's been waiting for. So in the beginning of the other account of, of John, the other John, John the, the Apostle, we learn from John the Apostle that he's a forerunner for Jesus. John confirms what the Old Testament said, what Gabriel said, and what Zechariah said. John tells us that he is a forerunner. He is the one that was coming to prepare the way. The prophecy for that is found in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is an Old Testament prophet. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And Isaiah chapter 40 says this, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, and to them desert was wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's John. That's the beginning of John's life. John was primarily this. John was primarily a witness. John was primarily a witness. Okay? Now we're going to read from John chapter 1. Here's my second challenge to you. I've asked you to read Luke chapter 1. Now I'm going to ask you to read John chapter 1. Guys, you've got to do it. You want to see some backstory of John? You want to read a little bit more about him? Read those two places. And there's a few more. Now, this is the testimony of John. He was a witness, right? This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now, John knew his place. John was a prophet, not God. And they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not and they said, uh, uh, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And they said to them, well, who are you? In other words, who are you to call on us to repent? Now, these are the religious people. These are the snotty people, the high and mighty people, the holier-than-thou people, the people always looking down their nose at you kind of people. Jesus didn't like them, and neither did John. I'm sure Jesus loved them, but He didn't like them. And He said... I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make way, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. 
Now, those who were sent were from the Pharisees. As I mentioned, when you see Pharisee, just know, for the most part, they're all annoying, they're all super religious, and they're all jerks. There's a few of them that aren't, but basically they were threatened by Jesus, and here they're threatened by John, and they don't like anything messing with their power. Sound like abuse of power to you? Absolutely. And they asked him, saying, well, why why then do you baptize, since you're not the Christ or Elijah or that prophet? Who do you think you are? You don't have any authority. And John answered and said to them, Yeah, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Baratha, Baratha, Bethabara, beyond the Jordan. Believe it or not, I practiced that where John was baptizing. It's not that hard. It's just I'm reading so fast. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Man, John was awesome. What a great story. As it intersects with the story of Jesus, we're going to see something that happens with John. Behold, first of all, the witness. Behold the Lamb of God. This is the witness of John. He says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, he reprimands the Pharisees and he said, there stands one among you whom you know not. And maybe somebody is here this morning and you've been coming to church all your life, but you don't know Jesus. You've seen him, you've heard about him, you hear other people's testimony of him, but you don't have him for yourself. And it's just religion for you. And religion will not save you. It didn't save the Pharisees, and it won't save you. You need to come to know Jesus personally. Once and for all, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I know you died on the cross for my sin. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I believe you rose from the dead, and that you are God in the flesh, and I ask you to be my personal one and only Savior. Not Jesus plus religion. Not Jesus plus cleaning up my act. Not Jesus plus belonging to a good church. Jesus alone. He looked at these crowds. He looked at these religious people and he said, "You listen, God is standing among you. And of all the people in all the world who ought to know, it ought to be you. They were the masters of the Bible. They were the masters of prophecy. People ask me why I don't preach a lot of eschatology. First of all, they don't know what the word means. Second of all, they probably don't know where the books are found. But eschatology is the study of end things, the study of end times. And, and listen, there are some things in the Bible that are literal. There are some things that are illustrative, analogies, and symbolic. And these people, these Pharisees who are the experts of the Bible got it wrong. I think sometimes when we study prophecy and we make it absolute, listen, there's some things that are written absolutely clearly, non-symbolically. We know Jesus is coming back bodily. right? We know that we're going to meet Him in the air. Paul was not, he was not mincing words when he talked about that, but there's other things in the book of Revelation that I think if we're not careful, we can get wrong. These people got Jesus wrong. Brilliant. Biblicists got Jesus coming wrong. They totally missed it. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knows when he's preaching repentance 
that it's only half the story. So you can't turn away from something without turning to something. And friends, that's what we need to hear. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't just need to hear that our sins are being thundered out from the pulpit. We need to hear that there's hope being thundered out from the pulpit just as powerfully. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The law, the law has no power to save a soul from hell. You hear me? The law has no power to save. We learn that from the Apostle Paul. The law cannot save one single soul. All it can do is point to Jesus and point to your inability to save yourself. By the law, we learn that we're sinners. And Paul says we learn that we're exceedingly guilty of sin. So that we learn we must turn to someone outside of ourselves. John says this of Jesus, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I didn't know him, but, but, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness and said this, Here is the witness, here is the testimony. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and He remained upon Him. Talking about Jesus. I didn't know Him, but, I, but He who sent me, who sent John, God the Father, the one that spoke to the prophets, He sent me to baptize with water and said to me this, Unto whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon Him, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this, is the Son of God. The intersection of John and Jesus is an amazing thing. The intersection of the Old Testament saint, the Old Testament prophet, with the New Testament lamb. He said, this is he of whom I have spoken. This is the official declaration and witness that Jesus is the Son of God and God in the flesh. It's an amazing an authoritative declaration spoken from an Old Testament prophet to Old Testament people that this is the beginning of the New Testament. Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.